Hey everybody, Juleika here. Before we get started, I want to invite you to come on the show. If you're an adult child of immigrant parents from anywhere in the world, I'd love to talk to you about the conversations that are necessary but challenging right now. What are you getting into with your loved ones? Um, holidays, politics, money? You know we get into it all. So send us an email or a detailed voice memo to hello at talktomommypoppy.com. We can't wait to have you on. Hi, everybody. Today, my guest is Carmen. She grew up in a Mexican and Middle Eastern household. Earlier this year, Carmen's dad was diagnosed with pancreatic cancer, which can often be fatal. The news shook the family, and amidst the COVID-19 pandemic, they all had a lot of adjusting to do. Let's get into it. My name is Carmen Habib. I live in San Diego, and I get that all the time, Carmen in San Diego, haha. I am a dental hygienist, and I am in dental sales, and I love it. Um, I am half Mexican, half Middle Eastern, um, and growing up in my house, uh, we always called my dad, Dad. <laughs> and then my mom, she had many nicknames um, in, in the best way possible, even called her by her first name. Don't ask me why, but that's what it was growing up in my house. So my mom passed away when I was 13. Uh, my dad, who um, is, he's what's going to be 71. Um, he's the, the Middle Eastern side. So he got uh, diagnosed with uh, pancreatic cancer in, what would that have been? Probably March or April. Pancreatic cancer is usually a death sentence. Um, he's been a uh, trooper and doing well um, so far. Not just that, but then also with, you know, the pandemic and everything, it's been a crazy, crazy year, to say the least. When COVID started, nobody knew what it was. So everybody has a different opinion, right? Your your brother has a different opinion. Your, um, your dad has a different opinion. But when you have a parent that's ill already, it's such a new thing for them. It's, it's, nobody likes getting old. And, you know, when you're, you're, told a diagnosis like that, it's, uh, it's devastating for everyone, but I can't imagine for him. So on top of that, to tell him, hey, by the way, you also can't leave your house and you need to wash your hands, you need to wear a mask. It's, I think it was just a lot for him all at once. When he got diagnosed, so I did live with them. I lived with my younger brother, my dad, and then got married Uh, and so I think I moved about April, April, May. So it was pretty quick. I actually moved out of the house right when he got diagnosed, which was not, not helpful either. You know, my, my dad has always had the idea that, you know, once he gets any kind of diagnosis, this is even when he was younger, it, he's just like, I'm done. It's over. You know, such a, um, what I think is such a Middle Eastern way of like, I guess, I don't know. I Obviously, I'm not sick, so I wouldn't know. I mean, I feel like I would just be super annoying and like, help me. Like, I'm, you know, he's just such a trooper. And he's more about like, this is how much money I'll leave you guys. This is how to handle the store. This is how to handle the house. And it's such a mature 
way, but at the same time, he, I mean, his prognosis is actually great, especially for someone with pancreatic cancer. So I think that was the difficulty when it started. He was just, he just heard the diagnosis and, you know, was like, boom, boom. Okay. That's, this is it for me. Um, Right now, I think we've we've pumped him up to the point where he's optimistic. We're all optimistic. He's he's got a fighting chance. It's a long road. It's a lot about patience, and that's hard when you're having symptoms every week. You know, it's hard to see the end of the tunnel. At the beginning, when he was, uh, I guess, gave in the towel, we were very upset because we're like, no, 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 hold on, let like you don't get it. Even though he did, I think it was just how he grew up. Um, yeah, I talk about that with my brothers all the time. I'm like, if I got cancer, I would just, I think I'd be super needy, super, I mean, who knows, right? But this man is just, doesn't, when he calls me, it's about, how are you and Ben? How's the house? How are you guys doing? Like, I'm blown away at how independent he is. So my dad has been a widower for a long time. Maybe he is a little more pragmatic about it because he's dealt with my mom's death and maybe he's just more realistic about it. Um, You know, through the years, we've talked about obviously my mom's death. And um, I think that's pretty something that we're pretty open about in our family. Like we don't um, (laughs) like thinking about it now. It's crazy how much we really do talk about like, oh, when your grandma died and when your mom died and, um, you know, how things happened and like the diseases in our family. And um, if he is feeling any sort of way, um, nervousness or sadness, like he doesn't let it show. Um, And I, I hope that when that day comes for me, or if I ever get something like this, I hope I can do that for my kids too, and be that strong. Carmen's story took me back to difficult moments in my own life. When the ground falls from under you and nothing makes sense. Like when my grandmother passed and I had a really hard time feeling stable on my own two feet for a while. Carmen sharing her family story also brought up the difficulty of accepting illness and facing the possibility of death. And we know that so many of these conversations have been happening this year especially. So I'm so thankful to Carmen and to the expert who stopped by to help us out. My name is Mariela Zuniga. I'm an occupational therapy consultant with more than 15 years experience in rehab services. Currently, I provide occupational therapy in home-based settings here in Washington, D.C. I advocate for older adults and also consult with startups and tech innovation in the aging and longevity space. What did you hear in Carmen's story? I heard about the diagnosis of pancreatic cancer, and that's one of the most serious disease or condition that one could receive. And that's very devastating at any point of your life to get that. Um, So it it resonates for me because, you know, I work in healthcare. I'm always involved with people who are sick, whether in early stages or towards the end. Mm -hmm. And having that conversation, um, how to plan Mm -hmm. for the later phase, that's a very difficult conversation. 
talking about death and what would be is taboo. Mm-hmm. It's almost like you're calling in the spirit of death. Mm-hmm. It's like, no, it's not. But I do encourage the sandwich generation, the generation who cares for the parent and the children in the family. So you're being sandwiched by two generations to start thinking of that conversation. How are you going to approach it? Because you don't want to be in the middle of a medical crisis. Mm. And that's when you're making a decision. And a lot of us should have that conversation with our parents, whether or not they're sick right now. Right. When you get the diagnosis, Mm -hmm. how would you suggest that a family prioritize what happens next? And what Mm -hmm. type of um, perspective should they bring to bear on the decisions that they're going to make once they get a diagnosis? Um, So the patient or the um, the person who received a diagnosis, um, they could, of course, they would involve the doctors for, for education, but it's also having the, like owning the, the diagnosis. Mm-hmm. How do I want the doctors to treat me? Mm-hmm. Um, I'd like to know what, I mean, learn more about the condition. If it's going to be like a terminal illness, what are your preferences? Would, do you see yourself being in a nursing home mm-hmm. or in a palliative care, would you stay at home? And how long do you plan to receive the medical care? There might be a certain point when it's very difficult for a person to to swallow, mm-hmm. to dress themselves. And, you know, we want to give them the dignity in making sure they are involved in their care, in the treatment that they want like to uphold their spiritual wishes. Mm-hmm. You want them to have a say. Um, what values, whether family or personal, that will come into play? So in Carmen's case, her dad had a very different immediate reaction, right. which was basically, okay, I guess I'm done. <laughs> and yeah, I, I'm laughing about it because her and her siblings' response was, wait a minute. What are you talking about? You're not done. Let's figure this out. But right. my grandmother at 92 had a really bad fall, broke her hip mm-hmm. and was bedridden mm-hmm. for many months prior to passing. And she would often say, I'm happy. I've had a great life. I'm good. I can go. I'll be fine. And it was basically the rest of us saying, we're not ready. Don't say things like that. Precisely because we thought we would be inviting the thing in. If, if we said that. So right. that clearly seems to be cultural. So how do you deal with sort of like the cultural components and the cultural-based reactions that people have to illness and to, a you know, a terminal diagnosis? I would suggest like getting some professionals because um, if it's family, everybody is in the same boat, is in the same um like silo, but having someone like a third party who would be able to talk about planning, let's say just putting in the simple 
power of attorney mm-hmm. and advanced directive because mm-hmm. those two are very important like if you don't have it um, sometimes in the hospital they you know it's very hard to make the decisions right away but having someone like a third party someone that they trust that they could trust ask them like you know i'm kind of thinking about this because i heard let's say uncle tony had um a difficult situation or there was like a hard death i would want to be more prepared mm-hmm. about that mm-hmm. what are your thoughts mm-hmm. make it about i'm coming from a place of love and i want to honor your wishes but i want to know how to go forward about it so help me understand um so coming from that like it's how you deliver it um but it would be helpful to get your allies as, such as your siblings um do you know to kind of plant the seeds because this is not like a one time conversation so that actually brings um brings me to the next interesting thing which is that you know Carmen says my dad has been very independent and self-reliant mm-hmm. especially because her mom passed some years ago and so he's used to not you know relying on anyone or needing really anyone to live his his full life and now her and her siblings want to be more supportive they want to help more so can you talk to us about the idea of aging in place and how you know children of immigrant parents and their grandchildren and their extended family can support them in doing just that while also preparing you know for end of life planning and in mm-hmm. you know and also being prepared in case of a diagnosis like this one right so aging in place is modifying your home or your environment so that you could live optimally thrive optimally independently and safely at home for as long as possible so you try to set up the house um like everything would be accessible mm. in one floor so because if a person gets tired going up and down the stairs then you know they won't have any more energy to do what's important for them like mm. let's say later in the afternoon so you you want to make everything accessible in their um uh, mainly living area So the bathroom should also be safe because as a person advances in age the risk for falls increase. Mm. So you want to set up for like grab bars, um a higher like a comfort height toilet seat mm-hmm. and then later on um you may want to tell them that you may be open minded to using a cane or a walker just to help them with um walking and helping them be more independent in their home mm. um there might come a time when the bedroom maybe upstairs would have to be transferred on the first level just to make it easier and then the regular bed change into a hospital bed got it got it all right i'm going to ask you one final question i just want you to sort of like list some of the misconceptions that the younger generation might have about the elderly so that we can start to pay attention to whether or not and how we're also making decisions based on those misconceptions um people think that when you're over 65 you are unable to contribute to society there's also a misconception that 
60 and above can no longer work as fast or engage in a work environment with the millennials. Also, the misconception that older adults always use a cane or a walker and they need to go slow. But in my experience and what I've seen, some of the most robust adults they still swim at 90. Mm-hmm. They still run. And and sometimes I would be so amazed that, wait, what did you have for breakfast? I want to have what you had. Because it's like, you're more hyper than me. And one thing that really struck me, I was working with this 97-year-old. And I said, like, what's your secret? And he said, well, I'm a pescatarian, very active. I've been a swimmer. And... I was in World War II. I flew a fighter plane. And when bullets were coming at you, he told himself that if I survive, everything else would just be a bonus. So I was like, wow, that's really, really um, very insightful. Yeah, so you don't let stress rule your life. So at 97, he was so sharp. And most of them, like I even encountered people at 60 going for their next degree. Mm -hmm. So it's not like when you're in your golden years, you're just knitting and, you know, rocking in a corner (laughs) and just reading a book. These are people who have a treasure trove of wisdom. And from their experience, they could share with a younger generation how life should be lived. Mm -hmm. And I think as a a generation we worry a lot, but for them, having lived that, they really just go for it. They say what they want and they just do what they want. And it's very, very inspiring. Thank you so much for coming on and sharing such useful insights with us. Thank you, Juleika. I really enjoyed it. Thank you. All right, let's recap what we learned from Mariella. Think and plan ahead. Don't wait until a medical emergency or a diagnosis to talk with your relatives who are older or ill. How they wish to be cared for should be something that is thoughtfully considered and planned for. Begin the conversation early and keep talking. Explore all your options. From treatment plans to strategies for aging in place, there are so many choices. Make sure that your choices are based on what's important to you and your loved one. And remember, encourage agency. Older adults are independent, self-reliant, and very much engaged in their own lives and well-being. So they have an important role to play in decisions about their care. Thank you so much for listening and for sharing us. How to Talk to Mommy and Papi About Anything is an original production of Lantigua Williams & Co. Virginia Lora produced this episode. Michael Castañeda mixed it. Micaela Rodriguez is our founding producer and social media editor. Cedric Wilson is our lead producer. I'm the show's creator, Juleika Lantigua Williams. On Twitter and Instagram, we're at Talk to Mommy Papi. Please subscribe and rate us on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music, Spotify, and anywhere you listen to your favorite podcasts. Bye, everybody. Same place next week.